This morning's scripture text, the sermon text, will come from the letter of Hebrews in chapter 5, verses 11, 6 through 12. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction about cleansing rites, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will do so. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age, and who have fallen away to be brought back to repentance. To their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Land that drinks in the rain often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case, the things that have to do with salvation. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end, so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is the word of the Lord. This is a a text today that will challenge you. It's definitely challenged me. It's a hard text to understand. It's a hard text to to come to your senses and your understanding about exactly what it's saying. So by God's help, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, he'll unfold that to us today. That we can see what God is calling us to see and what God is calling us to hear. We left last week as we ended our sermon at the 510 in Hebrews. And there, the writer of Hebrews introduces this person named Melchizedek. Melchizedek. These people that the writer was writing to, they're Jewish converts to Christianity. Most likely, they had seen the person of Christ Jesus. They had saw the works that he did, the miracles that he performed, and they probably even heard what he spoke. 
And so they had come to the knowledge, they had come to the experience that Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the promised one that was to come to Israel and deliver Israel from all, its, from all of their enemies. And so the writer of Hebrews is speaking to these converts and saying to them, that they are to find a perfection, to find the perfect substance of the shadow that they had experienced throughout all their temple worship in Christ Jesus. The writer speaks about the priesthood and shows that Christ is the perfect high priest, the perfect high priest. But that writer doesn't bring about the natural order that you would think in temporal worship, that Jesus is coming along the line of what's called the Levitical priesthood, but that he's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And then he stops. He stops in his teaching of Melchizedek because he wants to tell his hearers they're not ready. They're not ready. That was an astounding thing, I'm sure, when they heard that. They had experienced the very things that we struggled to connect from the Old Testament to the person of Christ. They had experienced the sacrifice. They had experienced the acts of the priest. Can you imagine standing before a sacrifice altar and seeing the hands go upon another to understand that that animal was going to die, right? That there had to be a transfer of sin. And so they could relate to what the writer of Hebrews was saying. The writer of Hebrews was saying, all of that is a shadow of something of a more perfect substance, of something that is more perfect than you can ever imagine because it speaks to who Christ Jesus is. But that writer halts the instruction and says, you're not ready. You're not ready. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we ready for this? Really? Are we ready for this? Are we ready to trust and commit our life to the Lord? Because God is coming today to speak and to grab our attention. He wants us to hear his word. These Jewish converts were to hear God's word, and we are to hear God's word. We have a responsibility if we are God's people, to hear his word. That doesn't simply mean let it go in your ears and out the other, right? It doesn't mean go in one ear and out the other. That means give diligent attention to God's word. And so what the writer says here is you're not ready. In fact, it's not that you're just not ready, but you now don't want to understand. You don't want to do what is necessary to understand what I'm talking about. And that word in Greek is really saying to us that we're dull in hearing or we're slothful. Saying to us that we're lazy Christians. That's what was being said to the Hebrews. You're lazy Christians. You're returning back to the old ways, to your old religion, and you're forgetting where you started and how you started. And really what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that to be a Christian, you're to grow. 
You're to progress. You can't just remain where you start. That would be great. If all it was is that I've come to believe in Christ Jesus and I know that he's a savior. Is that all Christianity is about? You have to think about that. Is it simply just coming to an idea, to a theory, to a proposition that scripture makes and says that Jesus is the savior of the world? But we're told we're to progress. We're to go beyond that. So much our senses and our understanding are challenged because we're told by the writer that we're to move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. It would seem that's what Christianity is about. That isn't it about Christ? Isn't it about faith in God? And so we really have to give diligent hearing today to hear exactly what the writer is saying. What this text is speaking about is going to challenge one of the great doctrines of the church called the perseverance of the saints. How God keeps those who believe in him. Or does he keep those who believe in him? Because how God keeps us and he brings us to the end is a work of his grace. It's amazing. It's a miracle that any of us can make it to the end. But by looking at Christ Jesus, by clinging to Christ Jesus, knowing that Christ Jesus is our Lord, we will. That's what the promise of the perseverance of the saints speaks to us. It speaks that we are preserved in Christ Jesus. And because we are preserved in Christ Jesus, we will persevere. We will make it to the end. Not because of our efforts, not because of our merits, not because of what we do, but because of what Christ has done. And so we're also going to challenge another blessed doctrine is the assurance of the believer. The assurance of the believer. There's some hard sayings in this text that should rock the very foundation of you being assured of your, in your faith. In your faith. They are very things that we can relate to. That we can say, if we're Christians, this has really happened to me. This has really happened in my life. But you're saying that I can fall away? Fall away? That challenges our understanding of assurance, and it should. If our assurance is in our faith, we have faith in our faith and not in the finished work of Christ. In other words, that we have faith in what we believe and not in whom we believe. The way that we have assurance is that we believe in Christ. And because we believe in Christ, he has secured us by the blood sacrifice the perfect blood sacrifice in which our Father has accepted. And so these, these converts were not progressing. They weren't moving along. They weren't growing. And so today's message is about how we grow as a Christian. And you're probably going to find some ways that you're like, okay, I got that. In other ways, you're going to be like, really? Really? 
The first way that we see that we are to grow as Christians and progress in our faith is that we have to receive rebuke. We have to receive the rebuke of God. God has to make it clear to us that we are wrong. We're not right with him. We're not right with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe before you came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you were not right with him? Do you believe from the moment that you were born into this world, this precious little babe, you were not right with God? You were not right with God. There's nothing that that little babe could have done to make themselves right. They're so innocent, so precious. They're beautiful. It's a miracle of life when we see that babe in our arms. When we see someone, that mother cradling that little infant. But that infant was born into this world as a sinner. As a sinner who needed a savior. Who needs a savior. And so... What the writer of Hebrews is saying, he rebukes them. He calls them, you're a lazy Christian. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can be lazy Christians, right? We can take things for granted that God has given us. We can rest upon our laurels. How often do we do that? How often do we do that? And here what the the writer of Hebrews is rebuking. He's calling their attention to say you're going in the wrong direction. That's what God does. He gets our attention by saying you're wrong. You need to stop going in that direction because if you keep going in that direction, you're going to face danger. You're going to face destruction. You're going to face a life that is not in in the blessing of God. You're not going to experience the life of salvation. The life of salvation is more, as we've said over and over, more than a momentary event. It's putting on Christ and wearing that salvation, wearing that covering throughout your life when sin and Satan comes and it attacks your very assurance of your hope of your salvation. And you have no other answer because if you come and say, I've done it in my righteousness, I've done it in my merits, I've done it in my works, it's not good enough. God will never accept it. It's a stench to him because it is unclean. It hasn't been made right before him. But when the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is your covering, the righteousness, then you can have assurance that you are kept by the sovereign God. By the sovereign God. The sovereign God that has all power over all creation and all the world. The Savior who can command the raging seas to be still. He's the one who holds you. He's the one that has apprehended you and grabbed a hold of you. And the way he grabs a hold of you is to rebuke you. To tell you in the moment of your repentance is a rebuke. God's saying, you are not going the right way. You've got your back to me. Now turn and face me. See that I am your God. See that I am your Lord. And so the writer of Hebrews is saying to these converts that you are dull of hearing. You're slothful. 
You're not hearing what the message is saying to you. And he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. What happens here is that God is calling them out. God is calling them out and said, by this time, what you have been shown, what you have known, the age that you are in the faith, you should be teachers, which all of us have a responsibility to be teachers of the faith. You don't have to be a preacher and get up here and preach, but you are to be those who profess the faith and teach it to your children, teach it to all those who are watching you and seeing how you live your life about what the love of Christ is. And you should be ready, ready and prepared to give the hope that lies in you. That's to teach the wonderful mercy of God's salvation. And so here the, they're called out. And they're saying basically what's being said to them is that you should be teachers, but you need to go back to the very beginning. And so we got to ask ourselves... Is there times where God calls us out and says, you need to go back to the very beginning? Go look in the, the book of Revelation. And there what Jesus tells the church, that they have forgotten their first love. They're to return to the very elementary truths of the gospel. Is do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? And why is it that you love Jesus? Is it because you can do great sacrifice? Is it because I've got religion right and I've worked it out and I've found comfort in my religion and I've got the faith? And that's all I need. All I need is to believe that Christ is Savior. He doesn't call me to do anything else. He doesn't call me to live that salvation. It's not what the Word of God says. The word of God says you are to mature. You're to go into perfection. And the way that you go into perfection is that you're to be exercised. A Greek word has that relationship with gymnasium. You're to get into the gym of God and get to exercising. Get into the gym and start going through the repetition. Start going through the things that are going to improve and strengthen you in the faith. The promise is given as we do that, we mature in the faith. You learn a lot about yourself when you actually apply your faith in your life. One, you're going to see your helplessness and your dependence upon Christ. Dependence upon the Holy Spirit. I've tried to live the good Christian life, but all I ever see is that I fall down. I can never be good enough. Has that ever been spoken to you as you try to live the Christian life? is that I'm just not good enough. I'm not good enough. And so what is your answer? Yeah, that's true. That's true. But Christ is. Christ is. It's the only claim that we have. And so sometimes what we hear, that rebuke to get our attention, is that you're not ready for the meat. You're like a babe that when it comes out of the womb, and it's time to feed. You don't just present this massive steak to this babe and say, eat. They can't. They're not able to. Their senses aren't ready 
to receive that food yet. They are trusting and depending upon the mother, upon the parents to feed them, to give me what it is that I need. That's how it is in faith. We come to Christ depending upon him that he will give us what we need. We're dependent. We're helpless. We're helpless in the, when we begin in faith. But when we're exercised in faith and we're matured in faith, our senses come alive. We can start to recognize the things that we like and the things we don't. I really like that doctrine of justification. It's a good thing for me, right? I don't know about that doctrine of chastening, about being disciplined. I don't, don't want that. And so we come to our Christian faith thinking like it's a smorgasbord or a buffet. And we say, hey, that's a good food that I want. That's a good food that I want. And we are refusing the one who gives it to us. Right? We rebel against what God gives us. And so the writer of Hebrews is making that very clear to these converts. That this is what you're doing. You need to go back and eat of the milk. Because you basically have lost your first love. You have walked away from where you began. And so the mature eat the solid food of the Word of God, the Word of God that is given to us. And so there are two reasons or two things that we would be rebuked for here in this passage, is we are no longer trying to understand. Think about what that is. That's when someone is telling you something that's hard or something that you don't understand, and you, you resist it. You say, I don't want to hear it anymore. It's easier if I go back to the way it was. Have you ever had that moment in your life where God has shaken you and got your attention because you were trying to live your religious life the way that you wanted to live it and not the way that God prescribes it, not the way that God calls us to? And so when you go through life believing that you are sufficient for everything and you can you needed God's salvation. You needed to have faith in Christ Jesus so you can figure out the rest on your own. It's not what the word of God says. That means we've got to depend upon Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ Jesus, we will. We will live in the hope of his salvation and go forward in life and put it on. We put the clothing of Christ on. We put the robe of Christ on in all of our life. The best way to kind of illustrate that is we all know the, the cartoon story about Charlie Brown, right? What happens when the adults begin to speak in Charlie Brown? You hear this, wah, 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 right? There isn't a hearing, an attentive diligence that the kids are listening to the adults. They don't want anything to do with it. But when they're speaking to each other, you can hear the conversation perfectly, that's kind of how the Christian faith is, is when we're hearing things we want to hear, then we're attentive to it. But when we hear God speaking in things we don't like, we just want to hear the wonk, wonk, wonk. Go through the motions of religion. Going through the motions of religion. So you really have to ask yourself, do you find yourself in that moment when you're reading God's word and you're not liking what you're hearing or not understanding? And so you tune it out. You turn it off. Or there's a speaker before you or a preacher that's before you. And you're hearing the word of God and it's just like, it's not doing it for me. 
So I'm just going to turn, look at my phone. I'm going to turn and look at something else to take away my attention. But God calls us to be attentive to the word. The preacher has a responsibility to be faithful in proclaiming the word. And congregation has the responsibility to be faithful in the hearing of the word just as much as the preacher does. When the preacher's up here speaking the word of God, he's not just preaching to you, right? He's declaring the word of God that is above him and above all the congregation. It's the word of the Lord. That's why we say it when we read the scripture. We say, this is the word of God. This is the word of the Lord. We want you to be attentive. We need to be attentive. Take it serious because God takes worship serious and we should take worship serious. We should prioritize worship above all things in our life. Everything else should get in line behind going, coming before the Lord and worshiping him. That's a hard saying. That's not easily done, it seems. But we got to get our life right. we got to prioritize our life. And by the grace of God, we will. The other reason why the rebuke is given is the failure to progress Christianity is a life of progress, whether we like it or not. We should. Those who are natural achievers or like to, to see results, they want to see progress. But there are others who they're just fine how things are. They just want life to be comfortable, no ups and downs. I'm good with where my faith is. There's no reason I need to understand this deep doctrine. There's no issue of why I need to understand justification or sanctification or all the things that that just belongs to the scholars. If it's in the word of God, it belongs to you. And God is saying, pay attention because it's important. It's important for you to go beyond the faith that you began because you can study the word of God. It was given to you to see the word of God. It is the light of his salvation. It is the power of his salvation. The word of God by which faith comes. Not only does faith come by the preaching or the hearing of the word of God, it is strengthened by the word of God. It is nurtured by the word of God. It is encouraged by the word of God. And so through rebuke, God grows us as a Christian because he calls us back to himself. He says, stop looking at yourself and look at me. Look at the ways that I have presented before you that you are to worship me. You can't worship me in your own righteousness. You worship me in Jesus' righteousness. And so the second way that God grows us as a Christian is through warnings. There's some pretty dire warnings that are given in that passage. Things that really should cause you to tremble. They did. They caused me to tremble. And the reason why they should cause you to tremble is that they should be so recognizable in your Christian life. They're saying that things that took place in certain in people's lives here, they also belong to the Christian. They belong to the Christian. And so these warnings really challenge the perseverance of the saints. So are we really saying that you can lose your salvation? Are we really saying that you can fall away? I would say the word of God is really saying that you can fall away. 
But we have to understand how it is that we can fall away. Why is that warning being given to the Christian? And how does that grow them up? How does that grow them up? What we see here is that God is doing three things in these warnings. What he is doing in his warning is he's guarding and protecting us from spiritual dangers. Just like when you tell a kid, don't touch the stove, it's hot. If you touch the stove and it's hot, it's going to burn you. It's going to burn you. Or make sure that you don't run out into traffic, you might get ran over. Okay? So there are ways that you have to approach the scripture that many have. You can approach it believing that this really isn't true. That God's not really saying what I think he's saying. Or you have to approach it that God's really saying that. And we really can lose our salvation. We can lose and fall away from God's grace. And what God is impressing upon us is the fear that if we are not preserved and kept by him, if we are not living in relationship with him, we can fall away. Not those who have truly, effectually been brought to him and delivered in his salvation. And so the focus of what we need to focus on is not can I fall away, but am I in Christ Jesus? Because if I'm in Christ Jesus, there is none that can pluck me from the hand of the Father. That's what the Word of God promises to us. But we see a picture here of the church. The church is not just the body of everyone who is a believer, a perfect believer. Not all of Israel was saved. That's what the Hebrews knew. That there were those that had received the blessing of God. They received the manna of heaven. They've tasted the goodness of God. They tasted the blessing of God. But they didn't enter into the promised land. There's the warning. There's the warning. And that's even given to the Gentile believers in saying that in the day of provocation, right, you aren't to be found in that day. You are not to provoke the Lord and believe that you can't be grafted out of the tree, that you can't be grafted out of the, where God's people are planted. And so in the church, we are a body of mixture. We are a mixed body. There are believers and non-believers among us. Scary thing. Frightful thing. It's not for us to do the separation. It's up to God. If we try to separate, we may pluck up those that God loves, that God is redeemed and he saved his children. But let them grow together. Let the wheats and the tares grow together. And so here he's saying that there is a mercy, there is a blessing that flows down upon the church. We see this land that receives a, the rain and it becomes profitable in its crops. It produces a crop. And then we see the same land, another land that produces thorns and thistles. Think about that in the world. You can go out there and see that very thing. I look at that in my yard and I look at it in the field that's next to me. I'm looking in my yard and when it rains, the grass is just abundant. It's flourishing. But then I look at the field next to me and it's thorns, it's dry. Why is that? Because God will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. 
And in the church, that's what happens through the preaching of the word. The word of God that is received with an attentive heart, a heart that's been prepared by the Holy Spirit, made tender, has had the ground encumbered and softened so that it can receive, receive the preaching of the word, that it can take root and grow. That's because God's mercies float upon it. But yet that same word can fall upon people who have hardened hearts, who have more concern about the affairs of the world, and it chokes out the very benefit of that word. And so when the rain falls down upon us, how is it that you're going to hear it? How are you receiving the word of God? That warning should come in as a loud alarm sound within us and say, be attentive to God's word. Be attentive to the helps and the mercies and the graces that God gives us in this life to know him, to approach him. Be in church. Partake in the communion. If you discern the Lord's body, see that that is a help, a means of grace that shows us the blessed salvation of the Lord of an unworthy people, but yet he feeds us and he nurtures us in that spiritual richness of his mill. It also, the warning comes to make us take our faith serious. Do we really take our faith serious? Or are we just going through the motions when we come to church? Are we really believing that who we believe in really can keep us? I mean, we just get very simple. Or do we believe he can keep us as long as I am doing this religiously? As long as I'm living a good life. That's much of the conversations that I have with people as I'm talking to them about Christ. It's about, but I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to live a good life. Surely God will accept that. Surely God will accept that. And there we have to have that discussion, but you have to look to Christ. That's why the warning comes that we don't take our faith for granted. We treasure our faith. We nurture our faith. We take a hold of our faith and cultivate it in the love of God. It's the gift that God has given us. It's the operation of the Holy Spirit. And should we not give it attention? Should we not pay attention to it and do all that we are able to do? Not outside of God's will, not outside of God's power, but yet he has called you to live your faith. Live your faith. Don't take it for granted. And the third thing is it keeps us near to Christ. If I've heard, if you truly heard the words that I can fall away, you have no protection or security that you can't if you're looking to yourself. But when you look to Christ, you got perfect security because he won't lose any. He hasn't lost any. He won't lose any. He has come to deliver us, to warn, to warn the world that you need to turn to him. You need to turn to him. The gospel, when it's preached, the message of Christ's death, it's a savor of life unto some and a savor unto death, a savor of death unto others. That's That's wild. The very message that is good news, that is the promise of God's salvation, 
can be received, that it's an awful aroma and a stench that people don't want any part of. Any part of. But yet, the amazing truth is that it's an aroma of life. It tells us about life. And so the warning wakes up our senses. It calls, our, it, gives our, it makes our faith have attention, be attentive to the word of God, to the seriousness of what our faith is about. Our faith is that we have come to this beautiful, wonderful God. We haven't come to a mount that can't be touched with hands, right? We've come to this eternal kingdom of God. Are you amazed? Does your faith spy that land and say, there's the promise? There's the promise? Because that's what the warnings are there for, for the children of God. To wake up. Get out of your slumber. Don't think it can't happen to you. Because you're too busy looking at others and saying, yeah, I'm living a better Christian life than they are. Okay? That's the danger that can come within the church is that we begin to justify our righteousness by looking at others and not looking at how God justifies our righteousness. And that's in Christ Jesus because God receives sinners. He doesn't receive those who are already perfect. He doesn't receive those who are already well. He receives those who recognize that I'm sick. I am in need of healing. I need to be brought in any way that I can. If I am blind, please bring me to the Savior. If I am deaf, put me in the presence of the Savior. You know what does that? The Word of God. The Word of God. It's yours. Pick it up in the morning. Pick it up in the daytime. Recite it upon your heart. Go get the audio. Whatever you have to do, get the Word of God in your life. It is your only comfort. Assurance that points you to Christ Jesus that you can never fall away. Never fall away. The third way that we grow as a Christian is through encouragement. Thanks be to God. If we were just simply getting rebuke, we would just get destroyed. It would be a constant rebuke. But we see that what Jesus did is he rebuked his disciples over and over and over. And what he was doing is he was encouraging them in the faith. He was encouraging them to put away the old ways, to put aside the old thinking, and to look at it in the new life, in the new way. And he's encouraging us to do the same. He's encouraging us to know that living the old way, living the old religion, in my life I know that happened in my life where God called me out and said that the way that you think you're living right with me isn't right. He woke me up, thanks be to God. Has he done that to you? And in doing so, he nurtured and he encouraged me to find my all in all in Christ. And that's what he's doing here. He shows that he wants us to learn to grow, to get beyond the elementaries of our faith, to get beyond the ABCs. Can you imagine if you were in kindergarten and you learned the ABCs and that's all you ever learned? You still couldn't read, right? Because what we learn are the ABCs in order that we can group them together to, to see words. And once we can see words, then we can understand what's being said to us. That's the Christian faith. Learn the ABCs. 
Learn the fundamentals. Christ is Savior. I need to be delivered from my sins. But then use those letters, those perfect little letters, and put them together to hear the whole counsel of God, the whole message of God. Don't resist it. And there were three ways in which the writer of Hebrews spoke to his audience, and he speaks to us of how we're to be encouraged. We're to grow in doctrine. That's what 6.1 is saying. We are to grow in the teachings of the Word of God. Doctrine, very simple. That seems like a simple thing, but is everything in which you receive instruction easy? We can go to kindergarten and say, yeah, boy, I can do that. That's easy. Third grade, great. Fifth grade. Depending on your age and your maturity, there's a level of difficulty to it, right? So much that if you go into college and you keep graduating and you keep moving on through the educational process, there's always something there to challenge you to get your knowledge increased. And that's how the Christian faith is. That you are to grow in doctrine wherever it is that you are. Grow beyond it because it's a wonderful thing. If you find a treasure out in a field, a piece of gold, if you went out in your backyard today and you found a grain of gold out there, would you stop digging? Or would you want to say, there has to be more there? That's what it is with the Word of God. So learn doctrine, grow in doctrine, study the Word of God. Hear the word of God. Speak and converse the word of God and avail yourself to all the helps that you can to help you understand the word of God. Two, the second way is to walk in love. He tells us that God is not unjust, right? He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. Walk in love. Live in love. Live in the love of God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the great commandment. And the second is likened unto it that Jesus taught us. That we are to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength. Do you? Do you? Or do you simply love God this much? Do you just approach God just enough? Just, just enough. I'm only going to give him that little bit of love. Well, ask the spouse or the one that you love in your life that if you're only giving them this much, do they feel loved? Do they experience the love? The way as a Christian that we love God is through obedience, through his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. You walk faithful in his commandments. You listen to his instruction. You listen to his teaching. And you obey him because you honor him, you revere him, you love him. He's more beautiful than anything. The only way that you can have assurance that you're not going to fall away or that you can have assurance in the moment of rebuke is to turn to Christ, to know him, to abide in his love. Make every furnishing in your house a testimony of his love. Where is it that I lay down and I find my comforts? Is it the love of the world? Is it the love of God? What table is it that I come to feast at? Do I come to the table of God's love? Or do I come to the table of everyone else's love? They accepted me because I did this and I said this and I feast on that. I feast upon the approval of others. But do you feast upon the approval of God? That's the message. Walk in love. And be diligent. Keep walking in love. And third, the final way. 
is that we are to imitate other believers of faith. We don't want to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Imitate others that are walking in faith, walking in love, walking in patience. I heard this beautiful story this week that on the radio that there was this musician that was speaking about the, the private devotional time that they would take each morning. And they try to get up early in the morning and go read their Bible and pray before the family wakes up because they want to have their time. They don't want to be disturbed. But one morning, his five-year-old son got up with him. And he went over and he saw Daddy reading the Bible and praying. And he got up. The five-year-old went and got his Bible, sat down by the father, and started reading the Bible with them. That's what it means to imitate others that are living the faith and the patience. Get into a relationship with others who are walking the faith that you're walking and learn with each other. Rebuke each other in love. Point out when we're not doing right, when we're doing wrong, and that we need to turn and that we need to keep up the pace. Keep running the race. Don't give up. Because it is God who preserves us and keeps us. And by his love and mercy alone, we will make it to the end.